0: All right, so most of you are aware, for visitors' sake, we, we're doing a series on David. And um, the reason why we're doing a series on David is for the following scriptures Isaiah 55, which tells us that the story of David is a model and a witness for us as believers, and that we can follow that. Uh, we see in, in Jeremiah as well that God wants to give shepherds to the church and to this world. And the call is for each one of us to be the shepherds who know God, who know His goodness, who know the fact that He delights in them, so that they can come and feed others with the knowledge and understanding. And I put this little thing together that if we don't come to God, let me rephrase that: if we don't live our lives out with a revelation and a deep understanding of the goodness of God, we will struggle through this life because circumstances come against us, and we we tend to blame God for them. Where are you, God? What are you doing? But when we understand that God delights in us, and there were scriptures that I gave, and that He delights in others, we have this almost this, this uh, circular thing where we, we see God delights for us. We see He delights in others. We know He's good. And then we, we realize God is good, and we del- he, know he delights in us, and He delights in others, and so forth, and so on. And so God wants to multiply this Davidic heart, a heart after His own, across the earth today. A people who would love passionately, who would worship extravagantly, and who would war fiercely in the Spirit. And so i want to recount the story of david in terms of the moment that i'm speaking of where he comes to strengthen himself in the lord so i've got this mini series within our series so what happens is is david gets anointed as king and uh he then lands up in a prominent place within the palace under saul he becomes an an amazing worship leader he sings and and brings the the presence of god into the, the the courtrooms and he becomes this mighty warrior and then all of a sudden, the, the number one hits on uh, the top 100 on 94.7, which is our local radio for the, 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 the people who are here from Australia, is Saul has killed his thousands, but David has killed his 10,000s. And so Saul gets caught up in emotion and in jealousy and tries to kill David. David runs for his life. He goes to his own people and he hides there, and then he says to God, look, I'm God, I just want to make sure because these guys don't seem to be for me. If David, if Saul comes along, will they hand me over? And God says, "Yeah, they will. You better go." So he goes to the enemy. Ter, inner, enemy. The enemy. That word. The enemy. <laughs> uh, I'm back to finding Nemo. Um, goes back. Well, he not goes back. He goes to enemy. Wow, what is wrong with my brain this morning? Philistine territory. And he goes to the Philistine territory. He makes mates with the king of the Philistines. Now, again, I said last week, just think about that for a moment. A number of years ago, he's killed Goliath, their best warrior. Now the king kind of welcomes him in, which seems like a miracle in itself. And what he does is he goes and he fights enemies that are both the Philistine and Israel's enemies. But he never fights against Israel. So he never joins the Philistines against Israel. Now the moment comes where the Philistines, it's a massive battle that's about to happen. Saul and Jonathan are going to be part of it. And God, by his grace, causes the commanders to say, we don't want this oak to come because we know that he's still for his people. They're still singing that top 100 song about him. So we don't want him to come with us because he's going to nail us in the back. So they reject him as well. David's like, What? Next thing, he's off back to his home because Ziklag was a village, a city that was given to them by the Philistine king. So all his men, now these 600 men, they were the dejected of society. They were the, the, the scum of the earth. And what, God had, what, what David had done was he had raised them, discipled them. He had helped them out of their depressive state. And they were his mates, but they were almost they were his sons too. Now they arrive at Ziklag and it's the smoke's rising up. They arrive there. It's burnt by fire. Now when the, when the Bible says it's burnt by fire, you must understand it is Smashed. It is absolutely smashed. There's nothing left. And no one living there because they've been taken off by the Amalekites. And I mentioned this and I'm going to mention it again. Because Saul did not kill the Amalekites when he was supposed to. This is one of the ramifications. I want to say this as moms and dads. If we don't deal with things in our lives, when God comes and says, Gary, deal with that now, our children have to face the bigger giants later on. And they will come to their own ziklag because we didn't kill that particular thing that God said we needed to eradicate. That was on the side, not on my notes. So now what happens is they arrive there, women, children, everybody gone. They, it says that they weep until they have no more strength. And then David starts to fear for his life because these men that he loved, that he took out the gutter, that he discipled, now want to kill him because they are bitter in their hearts. We've got to watch bitterness in our hearts. Bitterness turns into the most ugliest things in our lives. Unforgiveness is the root of all that. But here are these men. Here's David. He's sitting there, rejected by the king, rejected by his own people, rejected by, as Bill Johnson says, the enemy himself, Satan, Philistines, now rejected by his own men, and he's left there with no woman, with no his wives and his children are gone, and they're wanting to kill him. I'm pretty sure he must have gone, okay, God, so you anointed me as king 13 years ago. Um That must have been a ruse. That must have been Samuel. Must have been on something, and uh, that must have been something where which is not true. And the same thing, what Satan does to Jesus in the wilderness. If you are the son of God, he's always questioning. He's always trying to pull us off our purpose. I'm pretty sure there's people in this room right now going, God, uh, they're they're in a a David place where the enemy has come against him. They've been rejected. They've been rejected. They, everything's been taken from them, and they're going. But God, you said. And then David, what it says is he pulled away, he withdrew, and he strengthened himself from the Lord. And then he gets up and he takes his men into to go find his, his wives and his children. And they go and they get them. And I'm going to talk about that in another, at another time. What I showed last week was the first thing he did was in strengthening himself from the Lord, is he recounted the testimonies. And that's why what I'm doing is I'm giving more time for testimonies. We we kind of rush through them, and they, oh, it's the good news stories. Let's get them over with. But I think we should stay here for a season where we start to recount what God has done in our lives. Because every single one of us has a story and experience of what God's doing, despite the circumstances we may find ourselves. And when we recount these things that we've seen, what happens is, is faith starts to rise up in us, and there's an expectation that rises up within us because we see the acts of God. The opposite happens when we stop recounting what God has done, when we stop telling of what we've seen, expectations drop, the activity of God drops, and so on and so forth and so on. And then we go, oh, well, let's just be a cessationist because (laughs) the Holy Spirit doesn't operate in our day. But when we come with expectation because we recount and we say, God, look, you know what God did? Look what God did for Ella's eyes. Look look, look what God did with with Karen, with the business. Look what God did. Look Look what God did. And every week we remind each other of the goodness of God towards us, despite our circumstances, strength starts to rise. Then what we're also supposed to do is review the promises. And I showed you the scriptures of of David reviewing the promises over his life. But God, you anointed me. You've called me to be king. You've called me to be this. It's been 13 years. I don't know when it is. And we bookend our lives, and we bookend strengthening ourselves in the Lord by looking at the prophetic words over us, what God has spoken of us. Steve spoke about that this morning that this friend of his looks at those prophetic words and is starting to walk into them 13 years later. I know that there are words over us in this community, and we're going, God, what are you talking about? Part of my, my challenge over this last season has been, okay, God, we had this amazing venue. We had to leave it, and we had to come into this little thing. And I'm going, it's like the roof's too low. The walls are too close. It's hot in here. I'm starting to smell. <laughs> yeah, seriously. The, And then, out of the blue, really, out of the blue, we find this place. And I go, okay, God. Okay, God. But in the circumstances, all we continue to praise and to worship him, to review the promises. But God, you said, God has called this community to be an influence into the city. We may never be the biggest community, and I'm not looking to be the biggest, but I want to be the most influential. And I know these men and women here, you are the influences, not me. Now, there's more I wanted to say there, but I'm going to stop there. And I showed this picture because one week later, David was on the throne. (laughs) In fact, it was less than a week. Judah called him and he was on the throne, as Steve mentioned this morning. So I want to say to you, if you're in a place and and you've, you've lost sight of your promises and you've lost sight of the vision and identity to which God has called you to, can I say get up? Because your destiny could be around the corner, just like David was. So this morning, I want to add what else did David do? Now, I know it all says is David strengthened himself from the Lord, and then he got up and he envisioned his men. I mean, I don't know. We don't really know what he did there, but the Psalms are full of what David did as a lifestyle that we can now put into that little phrase, how did he strengthen himself from the Lord? So my question is, is, what is God's overarching will for your life? How did, he, how did Jesus teach us to pray? Let your kingdom come and let your will be done. Okay, great. What is your will? On earth as it is in heaven. So the overarching will for God's life, for us, is to live out heaven's reality here on earth. That's here. Yes, there's the individual things and the way it plays out. But that's, at the end of the day, the start and the finish of it all. And the thing is, because we are God's delegated authority and because God has chosen to partner with us, yes, I don't know why sometimes, we play a part in causing that to happen. God just doesn't do it. Sometimes he does, but most times he's doing it with our partnership. So here's an amazing text in the New Testament. Rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. So the over bring heaven to earth, then what this is showing us is that there's a rejoicing, a praying, and a giving thanks that are the tools to reach into heaven with faith, the currency of heaven, and draw heaven to earth, and to live from heaven to earth, not from earth to heaven. Does that make sense? So here's the thing. God's will for your life is not to become a teacher or an engineer or an accountant, or maybe an accountant, but other than that. It's really to position your heart before him, Using these tools, because all of these tools position ourselves to have a closer relationship with Him and to engage a God who is our Father and who loves us. And so, what God's trying to show us in this text is He's defining His will in our, rephrase this, He is defining our behavior and the will that He has for our behavior. And there it is rejoice, pray, give thanks, and do it in all circumstances, do it continually. We can be in circumstances like David was. Everything is against you. It looks impossible that you will ever be king. But what David did was he went into heaven and he looked at what heaven's truth was, what God had spoken over him, and he overshadowed what he was seeing in the natural. Are we doing that as people? Whatever context that you're in, whatever circumstances seem in contradiction to what God has said, are we living from the higher truth? Because when we use these tools, and I'll show you in a moment, That's what happens. And David didn't just do this in a moment. See, we all think, oh, he just strengthened himself in the Lord. No, his whole life, when he was a shepherd all the way through, he practiced and he continually did this. And then all of a sudden what happened was this moment came and he was able to go and strengthen himself in the Lord. So it's not a once-off thing. The thing about pain and suffering is it exposes our hearts and it exposes whether our hearts have actually been impacted by God By doing these kind of things. I loved what Dudley Dudley Daniel used to say. You take a tube of toothpaste and squeeze it. What's going to come out? Okay, you can say, no, it's going to be caramel. But if it's toothpaste, toothpaste comes out. And so when we have these pressures of life, what did David do? He didn't run for the hills. He ran to God. And many people run from God because of pain, disappointment, disillusionment. And yet David ran right to him. Because here's the thing that I'm seeing in Christendom today and across the world, is the world system decides what they're going to do based on how they feel. I don't really feel like going to church today. I, I, don't, I don't feel like saying to Louise that I love her. Eyeball. <laughs> I, I, I don't feel like praying right now. I don't feel like giving thanks, Lord, because actually I, I'm not feeling thankful right now for what I have. I don't feel, so therefore we don't act. But if I do feel, then I act. The kingdom way is to act and impact our feelings, impact our emotions. So right just now, when we start to pray for people and start, when we start to say thankful, you may not feel thankful right now. But when we step out and we say, no, but I'm going to be thankful. What happens is, is our emotions, our feelings follow suit. And that's the way the kingdom is, different from the world. So Psalm 100, we know this very well. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. And then it goes on to say, and give thanks to him and bless his name. Okay, so I'm going to show you this three-step process because there's a protocol of heaven. As much as it's not a performance thing, God has got protocols in place. And those protocols, what happens is is when we follow this protocol, what it is, is we're able to get an audience with the king and respond to his invitation. So, I'm starting to build a little model here, as you can see. It's my, my analytical nature. But remember our testimonies, remember our promises, we bookend in it. Now we have a door of thanksgiving, of praise, and of worship. And that's how we get an audience to the king. Here's the thing about thanksgiving and praise. It's sacrificial. (laughs) We don't do it when it's convenient. We don't do it because oh, we feel like it right now. But we do it despite the confusion, despite the fact that we can't control what's going on around us. And the beauty about this is in the context of disappointment, in pain, and in all of those kind of things, failures, the beauty of that is in heaven one day there will be no sickness, there will be no tears, there will be nothing like that. There will be no disappointment. So by giving that offering right now and the sacrificial, it has a fragrance that's different from any other offering in that moment. Because we are giving something that we won't be able to give in heaven. The sacrifice of praise, of thanksgiving towards a God, no matter what our circumstances seem to be displaying. Here's the thing about worship, though. So, yeah, we enter his gates with thanksgiving. We enter his courts with praise. Those are sacrificial. We give now what happens is, is when we land up in that place of worship, what happens? We become the offering. We become the offering. And if we don't follow that process, we don't land up because giving thanks, we're thanking God, we're responding to what he has done for his works. What praise is we're responding to who God is. So if you think of this process, God, thank you for all of this. Like this morning, we gave testimony, testimony. Then what happens is we start to praise. We praise him for who he is, his promises, he's faithful. That's more to do with his promises of who he is in us. And because of that, we get drawn into the throne room where the worship, we respond to his presence. And everything else just fades. Everything else, like the volume gets turned down. And we stand face to face with our Father. So what I want to do this morning, I want to look at thankfulness in itself, and then I'm going to deal with, Praise and worship another time. Let me start on a negative side. Thankfulness brings us into relationship. When we are thankful to the person who has given us something, we're acknowledging who they are and we are thankful for them. And what it does, it builds relationship. If we're not thankful, guess what it does? It breaks relationship. So, Romans 1, verse 18 says, The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against the godliness and the wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness since what may be known about god is plain for them because god has made it plain to them for though they knew god notice that they knew god but they neither glorified him nor they gave thanks to him so their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened (laughs) i'm not surprised right now that this is happening i'm really not I'm not trying to be over spiritual, but we, what, and I'm going to, I have this, I've got this in my notes, and I'm going to share it now, is what the enemy does, is he tries to distract us, because truth is coming, and what happens when I used to play rugby, we used to put the bomb up, like we've seen it, where you kick the ball high up in the air, and now you want to regather it, but now you've realized you kicked it too far, you're not going to regather it, so, but now what you can do is, now you can try to distract the guy from catching the ball, and I... I mean, Glenn's laughing. Sometimes us even scream. Arr! And the guy's like, and he misses the ball. The enemy does that to us all the time. He tries to distract us with confusion, with disappointments, with all of these things, and out of fear because we're trying to catch the ball and there's all these other things around us. I feel that God is wanting to deposit you this morning something that will hold us in good stead of being thankful for him and thankful for what he does for us. But notice that. They did not glorify him or give thanks to him. When we don't give thanks to God, it says there our thoughts became futile. Our thinking became futile. Futile means purposeless. So when we are not thanking God, we don't see the purpose for which God has called us to. And then what happens is our hearts become darkened. And what does that mean? It means we actually close down our spiritual receptors to understand the spiritual realities that are around us. Does that make sense? So we become purposeless. We can't perceive spiritual realities, and then ultimately what happens is, is we move into a place where if you continue to read down there, all kinds of perversity comes out of us. Because we miss God and we miss who He is and what He's trying to say to us. So what are the benefits of thankfulness? I'm glad you asked. First one is humility. Notice how all of this feeds into each other. And the first part of humility is... So when we are thankful, what we are saying is there is a dependence on the person that we are thankful for, thankful to and the things that we are thankful for. And so when it comes to God and it comes to the understanding, this is linked to our testimony because of being thankful about what God has done for us. What it does is it acknowledges the person. So if my son Jordan has given me a gift... And I say, thank you. I'm acknowledging him as the gift giver. And I'm acknowledging that this gift is important to me. And the problem with us is that we don't do that with God. And yet, James 1.17 says, every good and perfect gift comes from God. If we don't recognize that, we don't pursue it. If I don't recognize the gift that I've been given by God, I'm not going to pursue it. If I don't understand it, then, and I don't understand its purpose, then I'm never going to live out what that gift is for and experience the benefit of what that gift is. So here's an example. Christmas time. I love Christmas time. I go ballistic. Louise keeps telling me I go overboard. My kids don't mind. And we buy. I just love. It. I start buying in September, and I use e and I use all that, and I just love doing it. Now, can you imagine that moment where we've got all the presents and and the whole family just sits there, doesn't acknowledge the presents, doesn't acknowledge the gifts that are there? How would I feel? Or possibly what they do is they pick up the gifts, but they just sit with them and they don't unwrap them. Or possibly part of that process is they open the gift and they don't even acknowledge what I've given them. Run outside and play with it. Or possibly it's a gift that I've given them that's uh, not meant to be sat on. Maybe it's an iPad. And then there's Ella jumping up on the iPad. And so it's not being used for the purpose for which it was given. And we do that as Christians, don't we? Because (laughs) I I love this. Bruce posted this, I think, on Facebook as well. But how's this for a great picture? (laughs) We've all been there. I remember when I, just before I got saved, going to a church and they started speaking in tongues. I thought, what that? It's just happened. But what I have seen in our, in church and in our today stuff is that we relegate, for example, the speaking in tongues to the lesser gift. Now, imagine if I gave Jordan a gift, and he said, "Oh, thanks, Dad, but it's not one of my best ones. It's actually one of my low ones. I want, I want the gift that Mom gave me, or Grand, or Dad, or Granddad gave me. How would that make me feel?" I know, I know, God is perfect, and His love for us is perfect, and all of those things. But I, I'm trying to give perspective on how we treat the gifts that God has given us. We either don't open them, we either show that we are disinterested in them, or we don't even know how to use them, or we don't use them for what they're supposed to be used for. And then we kind of say, oh, I like that one, but just drum it down a bit there, God. I don't really enjoy this. One of my personal stories around this was, and Louise isn't here, oh she is here, perfect timing, is that uh, we got engaged 24 years ago. We've been married almost 22 years. And uh, what happens is, is I take her up to Northcliffe Hill when you could still do that. At night, we've got a picnic basket. I've bought the ring. It's in my pocket. And my mom and dad had given me a signet ring when I graduated. And uh, we were talking, and we we're talking about marriage. And obviously, I was steering the conversation in that way. And I'd asked, uh, her parents aren't here this morning, but I asked Evan for his permission. And so everything was all set. Um, her sister almost blew the, my cover on the thing, but the point is, we get up there, and we're, we're up, no, not you, Michelle, was Michelle, and, uh, you know, typically what our sister does is, I know what's going to happen with you tonight, and, look, that didn't really help, but the point was, as we get back to the story, um, we're at top there, it was nice and cool, um, it was a summer's evening, had jackets on, and uh, we're talking about this, and managed to... Steer the conversation around, well, why don't, why don't I practice in asking you to marry me? And she was like, this is great. Get on your <laughs> knees. ask me so, so what I did is, and I said, she said, well, but we don't have a ring. So I said, no, I've got my signet ring, and we'll use that. So she goes, oh, okay. So we do this, and a beautiful moments. I get down on my knees, and I pour my heart out to her and ask her to be my soulmate for the rest of my life. And I put not my signet ring on, but her ring that I had in my pocket on her finger. And she's laughing. We we hug and whatever, and I'm shaking because I'm like nervous. She's like, why are you shaking? I'm like, no, I'm just cold. And we sit down, and like five minutes later, she still hasn't looked at her finger. It's like, Lord. So I'm thinking, how do I, without kind of being too obvious, because I wanted to look at it and get a surprise. I want to like tell her, and then she sees it. But uh, so... So what I said was, okay, you can keep my ring until I get you one. And she like looked at me finally. And I mean it wasn't the you know, it wasn't a lady's ring, so she looked at it and she ah, wah! And, and yes, ladies, she made me do it again. <laughs> but the point that I'm trying to make here is is that there I am sitting disappointed because she hasn't realized what I've given her. And I think we often sit here not realizing what God's given us. What we have what's in our hands, what's in our grasp, what we haven't opened, what we haven't used. The second thing that humility does, won't you help me, Lee, next one, is awareness. And again, you can see the awareness speaks into God's promises. Because when we're aware that God is sovereign over all things, I, I, I do love what Bill Johnson says here, is God's not in control, but he's in charge. Because I think what often happens is, is we think God's in control of everything. He's not. We have an enemy that wants to smash us. We are born into a war. If you haven't realized that yet, then let me just sit you down. You can tell me your life story and I will show you that you're in a war. And we have an enemy who wants to distract us. Like I've just said, so my story about the rugby ball would have come in now. But God is bigger than all those things. God is bigger than those promises. So the enemy often brings about circumstances to undermine our faith and to draw our attention away from what is in heaven, and start to live from earth to heaven because of all the circumstances. David didn't do that. David withdrew himself and strengthened himself from the Lord. And he did it with thankfulness, with humility of heart, because he agreed with the truth in heaven, rather than what was happening with him on earth at that moment. And what happens in those moments is when we do that, strength starts to rise within us, and we start to see that we serve a God of the impossible. In that moment... His own men are wanting to kill him. Everything's lost and God leads them. And I will share the story in in due course of how they capture, recapture their their wives and their children and more of the plunder than they've ever had before. And God showed them the way. There was an Egyptian on the way. He made the guys drunk. They were able to fight them and obliterate them and actually take what was theirs. God was in it from start to finish. And so what thanksgiving does, it responds to the invitation to come in to the throne room of God. Enter his gates with thanksgiving. And then lastly, what thanksgiving does is it sanctifies. And this all brings us into relationship with God. What, what do you mean sanctifies, Gary? Okay. 1 Timothy 4 verse 3. I think I've got it there. Yeah. They forbid people to marry and order, and order them to abstain from certain foods, which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and who know the truth. For everything God created is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving, because it is consecrated or sanctified by the word of God and prayer. So what what are you talking about, Gary? Because there's a lot of big words there, and how does that all work? What was happening in those days? Which you can imagine, throughout Israel's history and throughout the their wilderness experience and throughout the Pentateuch and with Leviticus and all of this, they had to only eat certain foods. They weren't allowed to eat those foods. I grew up in a school that was predominantly Jewish. A lot of my mates were Jewish and we would go into their homes and they'd have separate kitchens for meat and for, um, for pork and all that kind of stuff and for dairy and all that. They separated these things and there was good reason why they did that. What did I say? Yeah, you're right. Dairy, pork. Yeah, the, the pork was in the other... It's, it's a good point. It's the outside bridge. Yeah. yeah, yeah, where the bacon was. All, all my mates used to sneak bacon when we went out on tours and stuff. But the, the point is, is that you had all these strict rules. And they are still strict rules. Now all of a sudden, Peter gets up on the top of a, of a house and God shows him a vision that he can eat anything. Think of the mindset What went down there. They weren't allowed to touch pork and who've this and who've that and this seafood and that seafood. Now all of a sudden, everything is available to them. Even bacon. <laughs> and as I was saying to someone the other day, remember, if you go read Galatians, that Peter actually lands up going back to only eat with the Jewish people and not with the Gentiles. And Peter even says, in, I think it's Second Peter, he says, sure, when you read Paul's writings and he says some things that are really difficult to understand and to follow. Why? Because Paul came and rebuked him. He said, that, don't do that. And so part of this process was, here you have all this set up with the the Jewish people, and now all of a sudden, they're allowed to eat anything. So now you get these religious nuts who are going, no, you can't do that, and you can't do that. Oh, and that thing has been prayed for for that idol, so now you can't eat it. And yet it says here that if you receive it with thankfulness, it consecrates, it sanctifies it. Okay, so, okay, Gary, what does that mean for us right now? Well, when you sanctify something, it changes its nature and the use for which it is now to be used for. In the temple, what would happen is, is if I take this cup, let's say this, this cup was now to be used in the temple. What would happen was, in order to sanctify it, they would take blood from this, the sanctuary. And what they would do is they would sprinkle it and set it apart to be used in the temple for the rest of the time that it could be used as a cup. Our lives are sprinkled with the blood of Jesus to be set apart, to be used for his purposes for the rest of our lives. So now what happens is you are like David, and you land up in these circumstances and you go, Oh, my word, rejected by Saul, rejected by my people, rejected by Satan himself, rejected by my friends. I lost my wife and my kids, and I'm sitting here and I'm going, God, what is going on? Guess what happens when we turn and we start to be thankful? We set apart those circumstances. We sprinkle with the blood and it now becomes a weapon in God's hands and we become an instrument in God's hands to fight against the thing that the enemy determined for evil. Jesus said, I have come to the earth to reveal my father to you. And Jesus said, I'm sending you to reveal me to the rest of the world. When we do that, We reveal Jesus to the rest of the world because we are thankful in the context that we find ourselves because we've set ourselves apart by being thankful and we sanctify those things. And it's just like Esther. Haman lands up getting hung on the gallows that he created to hang Mordecai. And the weapon that the enemy came against us now becomes a weapon in our arsenal for the purposes that God has established for us. And like I said, David steps out, envisions his men, and goes and gets them back and brings them back. And he's king within a week. Give thanks to the Lord and proclaim His greatness. Let the whole world know what He has done. Here's our moment. I've just expounded some stuff that I believe that part of strengthening ourselves in the Lord is to be thankful. And not because you feel like it, but because it's reality. Because when we see what God has done, and I've seen Antio this morning, and I'm sure he can give a testimony around what's happened to him. He's got on his resume now as crash test dummy is something that he can... But part of this process is that God, you hear their testimony, God was there. Despite the pain, despite what he went through, despite the operations, God was there. And there's lots to be thankful for. And when we do that, we show the world Jesus. We become instruments in God's hands to impact this world because it's Christ in us, the hope of glory. Guess what? If you are feeling hopeless... It's all based on a lie. And that's why with thankfulness, we elevate ourselves into the heavenly realms and we see what God is doing and we go, but it's a lie because that's what God said. And because of that, we dispel the lie and we're able to walk out what God has for us. So maybe you're feeling hopeless this morning. Maybe there's something in your body. We've got Roja we're going to pray for. But we're also going to thank God for her. (laughs) We're going to thank God for the life. We're going to thank her because if she wasn't around, Peter wouldn't be around. And a world without Peter, can you imagine? R-coins. (laughs) Do you see how all of this fits together? And when we use that access card of thankfulness to get into God's presence and get drawn through praise and rejoice and worship, and we become that offering to God, everything else fades. Gets turned down, and we're able to see what God wants of us in that moment, what heaven is saying, what God's will is in those circumstances, and to walk it out and to give Him glory. Because when we give Him glory and thanks, our minds are no longer futile thinkers. (laughs) Okay, maybe some of you. But I'm kidding, I'm just a joke. Our hearts don't get hardened. We can perceive the spiritual realities and walk in what God has for us. So I, I think let's stand and worship. Let's be thankful, engage God right now. I want to, like I said earlier, is right now you may not feel thankful. You might be in circumstances, but if you just take a step forward and say, God, I'm thankful for I Y, Z. I haven't mentioned that for a long time, but what we do now is we act. And we say, God, I'm thankful for this. I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful for Mr. X, Mrs. Y. I'm thankful for my kids. I'm thankful, God, for that, your, your salvation over me. And what it has done in my life. And when we are thankful and we step out, the emotions and the feelings will be drawn alongside that. And so before we start to sing, let's lift up our hands. I want you to think about something that you are thankful for. Maybe something that you haven't been thankful for. And you ought to be. I'd like you to articulate it, because if you don't speak it out, you don't have to shout it out, but speak it out. Lord, thank you. Thank you for my health, Lord. Thank you for my wife. Thank you for my children. Thank you that they're all in good health. Thank you for what you're doing with Ella's eyes. Thank you, Lord, for the testimony of the work that you're doing there. Thank you, Lord, for our new venue that I believe we will move to. Thank you, Lord, that you delight in me. Thank you, Lord, that you delight in everybody here. Thank you for your goodness towards me. Thank you for the gospel of Jesus Christ, the news that's too good to be true. Thank you for the scandal of the gospel. Thank you, Jesus, for coming to earth as a man and for dying as a man that we could be set free. Thank you, Jesus, that you were raised from the dead, that we can live a life that is a life of abundance in your presence. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you draw us close, that you convict us of sin so that we would turn from those things and confess it to you as such and move into a closer fellowship and relationship with you. Thank you, Jesus, for music. Thank you, Jesus, for worship.